Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, the 20th day of August in the year 2021, and today I will be talking about Afghanistan as the 20-year-long effort of the United States to bring gender identity and social justice to that medieval society, that society with a strange religion, strange culture, and where the word gender does not even appear in any of the many languages. That mission ends in failure in only about 72 hours. The Castle family doing well this week as the kids are back in school here in the River City. Summer winds toward a close. We get up each day and go to work. We work hard. We return home for a night's rest and work around the daily chores of living. That is life in America today for the fortunate ones like us. I'm sure the family daughter is enjoying many of the same things, safe in the golden land of Los Angeles, California. Why? Why is Afghanistan sometimes referred to as the graveyard of empires? For the answer to that question, I turn to writer and economist Bill Bonner. Bill says, quote, the British Empire concluded 80 years of warfare in Afghanistan in 1919. Their empire survived approximately 20 years after that when it faltered, declined, and was replaced by the United States as the new emperor of the world. The Soviet empire fought there for 10 years and left in 1989, one year. From the Afghanistan retreat, the Soviet empire was gone from this earth. Now the United States is withdrawing after 20 years of fighting, killing, and dying. So the future will tell us what happens to the American empire as a result, end quote. We do know for sure that the struggle cost the lives of some 2,500 American military and a couple of thousand civilian contractors, plus $2.26 trillion approximately. Why do I say that the U.S. mission was a 20-year effort to teach gender identity and social justice to that medieval land? Because according to the U.S. government report, $787 million was spent directly on gender programs but the final amount was much larger because almost every program over there had gender education included in it. The effort apparently had mostly negative effects on the land and people who were unable to comprehend what would eventually happen. The programs included child care for working mothers who were prevented by law and culture from working. Gender goals were required for the Afghan army, which really needed training in combat and esprit de corps. The primary result appears to have been rebellion and instability. In the end, all the girls' schools had to tell their kids to run for their lives. The Taliban were coming. The Afghan women's soccer team were told to burn their uniforms. People relied on the word of those in control, those whom they thought were honorable, but they were less than honorable, plus very stupid. Often at the moment, something is happening. We are told it's not happening. It will never happen. This is manifestly no Saigon Secretary of State Blinken told us, but in the end, that's exactly what he was. The Afghan troops, the U.S. trained, equipped for 20 years, just laid down their American weapons and joined the other side. President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken were briefed by the 17 different U.S. intelligence agencies about what was going to happen. The agencies all have billion-dollar budgets. They all have leadership that went to all the right schools. So how could they be incompetent? The Pentagon says that for many years it had been reporting to various 
presence that the Afghan army, which outnumbered the Taliban four to one, was unreliable and incompetent. It is interesting, however, what you can miss, no matter how obvious it is when you are paid not to see it. Afghanistan includes dozens of tribes, each with its own religion, culture, and language. It is preposterous to think that a Western-style democracy with all the current woke ideas could be built there. Anybody can see that. But all the politicians, the generals, defense contractors, bureaucrats did not see it since there was $2 trillion there for the taking. They all became paid blind men or men who were paid to be blind. It was not just the military that went blind in the ancient land of Afghanistan. The private contractors cooperated with the scam, as did the media. The temptation to lie, steal, and cheat when trillions are available must be irresistible. The press went along and abandoned their role as guardians and watchdogs to report, as they've had previously reported, on President Nixon. Yes, the press can get all hyped up when it wants to, like it did for George Floyd, but for the tens of thousands of innocent civilians killed in Afghanistan, not a whisper. There is none so blind as those who will not see. Do Afghan lives matter? I guess not, folks. Not to the right people, anyway. One major problem for the blind press was that the Afghan boondoggle was bipartisan, both Democrats and Republicans, in full support of it. If this disaster was concocted by stupid people, it might be understandable, but this catastrophic disaster was dreamed up by the best minds in the business with impeccable credentials. Five different presidents and their secretaries of state watched it all on television, then lied through their teeth to us about it. These people are politicians, and lying comes to them like breathing. Naturally, that is, at least now. We do have one lying boondoggle out in the open, but there are so many others still hidden from us. A strange coincidence here. We're tearing apart our own government, indeed our own civilization, while we are supposedly trying to build one in Afghanistan. What else are these people lying to us about? Everything, everything, I would guess. One thing that seems certain is that this is a very bad time for those who served. We lost the war, veterans say. All our sacrifice was in vain. Our physical, mental, emotional wounds, all the times we left our families uncared for in vain, for nothing. Ah, oh, but that's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. Your sacrifice was not in vain. It was not for nothing. Your sacrifice was for a trillion-dollar boondoggle for the smiling, lying elite who run this country. That should make you feel proud, ready to offer up your sons and daughters to do the same thing for the next boondoggle. Yes, unfortunately, that appears to be the case, but it's not like we haven't seen it before. In Vietnam, at least, we could see the communist invasion from the north as a reason for being there. True, the real story of the communist invasion was withheld from us, but that's another story for another time. In Afghanistan, there was not even a hint of purpose if one looks at the stated reasoning for the beginning and what happened at the time. Yes, the United States was attacked by someone or something on 9-11, and the Bush administration told us it was Osama bin Laden. The administration demanded that the Taliban government turn him over. Show us one bit of evidence, they said, one shred of evidence, and we will turn him over, but no evidence was ever forthcoming. The Taliban said, okay, suppose we're turning him over to a neutral country. So then we know he gets a fair trial. No, they said, that sounds reasonable, but no deal. 
So 20 years later, here we are. There were two competing forces in Afghanistan at the time. One of them, the Taliban, was in control of the government. The other was commonly known as the Northern Alliance. That is, the group we chose to support. The Northern Alliance was a rough alliance of groups that had fought the Soviets and drove them out of Afghanistan with a lot of U.S. money, advice, and equipment. That group is reportedly reforming in the mountains between Afghanistan and Pakistan under the old leadership. So the war goes on and on and on. There is a rush right now to find someone to place the blame on, someone besides Joe Biden, of course. President Biden has an answer for every disaster. That answer is Trump did it, so I'm not to blame. I see Biden as the architect of the final disaster, but not the start of it. This has been a 20-year-long inevitable disaster in the making. Disaster was inevitable because sooner or later we had to leave, so the Taliban simply bled us dry and waited and waited until we had to leave. George W. Bush committed us to this war, but Obama, Trump, and Biden had all their chance to contribute. Bush can retire as an elder statesman, admired figure down in Texas at the Bush Center, he can pontificate about women's rights after being responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of women. Let me give you a quote from his statement about the withdrawal of U.S. forces. Quote, in times like these, it can be hard to be optimistic. Laura and I will be steadfastly remain so. Like our country, Afghanistan is also made up of resilient, vibrant people. Nearly 65% of the population is under 25 years old. The choices they will make for opportunity, education, and liberty will also determine Afghanistan's future. As Dr. Sakina Yakubi of the Afghan Institute of Learning, which has opened schools for girls and women around the nation, wrote this week, while we are afraid, we're not defeated. Ideas do not disappear so easily. One cannot kill whispers on the wind. The Taliban cannot crush a dream. We will prevail even if it takes longer then we wanted it to, end quote, all complete horse manure. Of course, these women and young people are running around now trying to keep their U.S.-trained heads from being cut off. George Bush can sit as respected elder statesman for as long as he wants. He wants to pretend, but he created this debacle. Members of the U.S. military are by nature courageous and self-sacrificing, but the politicians who assign their missions, are cowardly and egotistical. So this has been a disaster of our own making. We keep electing people for one reason or another, but they're people who have no leadership ability, no moral vision, no honor. I often wonder why the American people put up with leaders of the character we so often have. The story we are given by the media about how President Biden handled this disaster was not a pretty one, even by government media standards. The Taliban was at the gates of Kabul, and he decided to take a long vacation. His chief of staff, Ron Klain, said publicly that he should return to the White House and make a statement. But Jill said no, he can make the statement from here. Finally, Ron Klain got his wish, and the president returned to Washington to deliver a brief statement. Then he disappeared again, went back to Camp David. His statement could have consisted of only three words. Trump did it. I didn't like his statement at all, folks, even though he stammered less than normal. I didn't like it for more reasons than blame Trump for all our, your problems. He was cold. He was indifferent to the suffering caused by him and the political class in general. 
they should all be repenting in sackcloth and ashes while hoping to avoid the gallows. That's the way I see it anyway. We, the people, should be deciding what to do with them. He said he stood by his decision to pull out of Afghanistan and end the never-ending war. I agree, that decision, just not the way he did it. Trump had a better plan for a stalemate and a gradual withdrawal. But supposedly Biden relied on intelligence estimates that it would take the Taliban 90 days to capture Kabul, but instead it took them maybe 72 hours. So our intelligence services fail us again. Will heads roll this time, not only in Afghanistan? I'm afraid not. Why do we put up with such incompetence? My guess is about money instead of competence and honor. The president told us that the Afghan military numbered 300,000 and was one of the best equipped militaries in the world. Now, I suppose the Taliban has one of the best equipped militaries in the world because they have billions in U.S. equipment. What was the actual state of the Afghan military created from scratch by U.S. forces? In 2020, one year, 25% of the Afghan army deserted. Attacks against U.S. forces by friendly Afghans was a constant problem. The Afghan Air Force, built and equipped by the U.S., was totally dependent on U.S. contractors for maintenance, and in later months, contractors were denied to them. More than anything else, the Afghans lacked faith in their commanders and in U.S. leadership. No army will prevail or even survive without such faith. When the decision by the U.S. to leave became clear, no one wanted to be the last to die in a war for a lost cause, so they just laid down their weapons and joined the enemy. What is probably worse than bad leadership is no leadership. No leadership results in what we have now, chaos. The president is missing, missing in action except for 15 minutes at a time in a time of national crisis, the vice president also missing. She appears to be just a silly, giggling little girl. Who's in charge up there anyway, folks? We would all like to know. Finally, folks, Washington's strategy in Afghanistan could accurately be described as lies, lies, and more lies compounded by strutting sycophants and incompetence. People with no skill, no morals, should try to gather around them those who at least have some skill in the area of question. But in Washington, those surrounding this administration seem to be lacking anything useful. Who are they? Who's in charge of this country? How did we allow ourselves to be led into this disaster and chaos by such people? At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.